You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. This is Kyle Hyman. I'm here at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art with Charles and Amanda Shepard for my monthly art history lesson. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, this is always fun. Yeah. So I like what we're doing here. This is going to be kind of a, a two-month series, a little vignette. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Part one, part I'm two, trying almost. to keep people listening to your show, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason. That's the only reason. <laughs> they listen is for this. Uh, I, I like it. Kind of shaking things up a little bit. Yeah. What do you have for us yeah. today? Well, if you've been listening the past couple of months, Charles and I have been reading art historian Elizabeth Love's fabulous book, How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. And she traces the history of Catholic art around the Council of Trent in the 1540s and traces how the church and its artists responded to the Protestant Reformation mm -hmm. and how that has been accomplished through paintings of the various sacraments. So, we've talked last show a lot about the Eucharist and how artists through the church wanted to bring the people to the sacrament of the Eucharist more frequently right. and to clarify their confusion that they had about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so, you know, once they had accomplished that, so to speak, people coming to the sacrament of the Eucharist more often, they would naturally have been coming to confession more often. And uh, we know that a lot of elements of the process of confession were under great attack by Martin Luther. Mm. So, the church used its artists once again to not only form its priests against those heresies, but then its people. Okay. So, I picked two wonderful paintings that Elizabeth Lebb speaks about in her book, and the first is of St. Peter Penitent, painted around 1600 by Guido Reni. And Guido Reni actually became sort of the painter of St. Peter Penitent. He painted 12 different pictures of St. Peter in the posture of the penitent. Okay. And I think that's because St. Peter is the ultimate penitent. He denied our Lord three times, right. and yet our Lord gave him the keys to bind and loose souls on this earth. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he is the model for not only popes, but all of the clergy down through the hierarchy of the position mm -hmm. that you must adopt as the forgiver of sins through Christ on this earth. Yeah. And I'll describe it for our listeners. It is uh, a traditional portrait bust, so to speak, of St. Peter, except he's looking up with wet, red, crying eyes mm -hmm. to an unknown source of light, and his chest is bared, and we see his hand across his chest, not unlike the beating of our breasts when we say our own penitential rite in the Mass. Right. His hand is open, uh, his mouth is open asking the Lord for forgiveness. So he looks almost like he's gasping or breathless. A note on the strokes of the painting, um, I read that the artist painted with some expression in his strokes. You see a lot of activity. It's not, it's not the highly rendered, highly art realist style that we might have seen in different styles of painting. And that shows 
what Elizabeth Love said. She said it shows the immediacy of this, that mm. this is a very active, real, and intimate moment with Peter as he is, I mean, there's tears rolling down his face. Right. And it's just him. There's nothing else or no one else in this painting. It's beautiful and sad and wonderful. And an important distinction to make about it is that it wasn't painted for the average lay person. It was painted for the intimate quarters of a priest. It was painted to remind priests of the stance of humility that they needed to have if they were going to be in the confessional with the lay people. Right. Well, and through this imagery, as we look at it and talk about it, it is so moving that no doubt it would move any one in the clergy who cast their eyes upon it. That is also sort of a characteristic of what happens in this period of art. This is the Baroque period we're in now. And earlier periods, this is all part of the Baroque period, Mannerist period, and three other earlier phases of Renaissance. It's all part of Renaissance painting. But Renaissance painting prior to had been a bit flatter and been a bit more exacting, as you just said, in, in its realism. And in the Baroque time, the artist is looking for the way to use that brush and the way to use that light to go beyond just telling you what you're seeing and making you feel, vividly feel what you're seeing. And this does this. Mm -hmm. To get that effect, by mm -hmm. the way, the artist, these are very time-consuming endeavors. The artist would work with a living model mm -hmm. But the artist would also work with a plaster model. The plaster model you would use to get your lighting right. Like look, if you look at the light on the face, the shoulders, the heart, the very forehead, I think you can't have a sitter sitting that long to figure that out. Oh. You know, it might have taken you all day or more than that. So you do that with your clay model. Oh. And they try to get your skin and your anatomy right with your model. And yet at the same time, you know, looking at this, the vividness of his tears and of his open mouth, which isn't forming a word like please or help. It's just in open and awe. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering what he had to do to that model to get him to get into that expression. Yeah. Mm -hmm, right. The tears are welling up in Peter's eyes, about to spill over this <sighs> redness around them. And one thing I just realized is that this is Peter as an old man. So we might assume that this is Peter taking this penitential stance years after mm -hmm. the Lord was killed. And as we get older and so-called wiser, the gravity of our sins can still haunt us and, yeah. and we can still feel sorrowful as we age and perhaps even more so, you know, he's going back to maybe his innocent days as a child and remembering the time that he did this thing and forever asking forgiveness for it. Yeah. As you mentioned, he did, Guido Reni did quite a number of portraits of St. Peter about in this time frame. He also later when he felt physically less able to paint larger canvases, did an, quite a number of prints. And in the prints, you're more apt to see the whole figure, but they're a little bit less vivid in the face. But then little symbols like the keys are there. Oh, okay. So he's trying to tie, you know, tie the whole story together. And you go, oh, he got the keys even though he denied Christ three right. times. Um, this is probably one of his most but there, moving paintings I mean, ever. There's nothing. I mean, the only other object in this painting is the cloak around Peter's shoulders. It's Peter, the cloak, his tears, 
and the darkness yeah. and the light on his face too. Right. So if painters at this time were responding to the reformers' heresies, they were responding to three objections that the reformers had to the process of confession and penance. And I was reading that uh, St. Robert Bellarmine, who was a Jesuit priest, spent most of his life refuting Protestant heresies on penance, emphasizing the theological soundness of the three elements of penance, hmm. contrition, confession, and satisfaction. And so the painters that we're talking about today were focused on the contrition part. Th this is This painting of Peter is about him being contrite. Mm -hmm. He at least in this painting, hasn't received forgiveness yet. And if this painting was meant to live in the quarters of a priest, it's, you know, contrition should be a lifelong stance that we take. And this is the most important part of approaching the confessional is being contrite for your sins. Now, I want to move on to a second painting. And this painting is of St. Jerome, who also could show priests at the time and for all time for that matter of what a life of penance is. Uh -huh. So if Peter is an example of contrition, then Jerome was an example of a life of penance. What you do after you've confessed and been forgiven, you you make up for it. You have to you have to do something. Hmm. That was one of the things that the Protestant reformers attacked was the satisfaction. After we've confessed, what do we do to satisfy the forgiveness that we've received. Yeah. And if we know a little bit about St. Jerome, we know that he enjoyed court life as a member of the clergy, but then at a certain point in his life, he moved out into the desert to translate scripture into Latin. Right. And <laughs> self-mortification. And, you know, he didn't have the worldly goods that he enjoyed in Rome. And this particular painting, which was painted in 1598, around the same time as the St. Peter Penitent painting, is by Federico Barocci. And Jerome, there are a lot of symbols in this painting, a lot of objects that we didn't see in the painting of Peter. He is clenching onto a crucifix with so much intensity and staring really intently at it. He's kneeling on the ground of his cave, his hand on a wicker basket, kneeling on the hard floor, about to strike himself with a stone. And through the open door of his cave, we see a setting sun in a dark, inky black sky. Hmm. And the only light in this painting is the light of his lamp illuminating the crucifix and his open book here. Mm -hmm. And the expression on his face is so intense. You know, if this is an image of penance, of satisfaction, he is doing it with a lot of intensity and he's going to do it for the rest of his life. He's yeah. going to live the penitential life for the rest of his life. Now, the interesting thing comparing the two as we talk about them is that the Orochi is an earlier painting, and you're going to see actually a little dampening of the emotion, even in that marvelous face, but a heightening of the realism. Mm -hmm. And it works to effect, but the brush strokes are less bold, less swirling and weaving together feelings as they are telling you truthfully, Jerome is so humble and... 
he's going to pay forever mm -hmm. for his sins. And that stone in his very strong arm shows you, again, bare chest. I'm going to lay my chest bare to the Lord, and I am going to punish myself again and again for all that I do is that is wrong. And so stylistically, uh, it is a 70-year-old earlier painting with a slightly different style. Both these artists were considered high, high masters. Both, by the way, started being trained to make art at about 12 years old. Hmm. And by the time they were 20, you should be a pro, Yeah, which is fascinating to think of. Mm -hmm. 12 years old getting instruction, and then mm -hmm. you're taken off at 16, mm -hmm. and you're making, you know, beginning to make paintings like this. Mm -hmm. Wow. Incredible mm -hmm. to me. In both paintings, we have intensity of expression. In the painting of Peter, all we have is his expression and the light on his face. And then in the painting of Jerome, we have a skull, which you can barely see under that lamp there, representing his mortality and the reality of sin mm. is death. And then off in the distance, that inky black sky with you know the sun setting, seemingly all hope is about to set on that horizon. As Charles said, his strong arm, his his biceps are really intense there, yeah. and you know he's about to hit himself with pretty forbidding looking rock. Um, we so don't. Go what ahead. effect does this have on the understanding of confession? Do we have any way of knowing? Well, I think if we remember that these paintings were for priests and church clergy, that. They need to be the humble ones because, and so do, so do the, the people confessing, but to be given the privileged place of acting in Christ's own person mm -hmm. to absolve sins on this earth, I, I mean, I can't think of a more privileged place in the whole world to have. Well, and I also see a very practical application here in that the priest of the moment is, is living in the moment, mm -hmm. and that moment is not as intense, quite likely, as what these two men are depicted, in the manner they're depicted. Probably the priest has not done what either of them have done either, but to reflect upon this before you go out to give a homily or to hear confessions, I think it's a reminder that this is pretty deep. This uh -huh. is pretty serious, and I, I would think that would fill them full of mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I also see in both men that they appear to me as though they are trying to take on the sin of the world to save others. And and they're not they're not asking to be spared of any punishment. That's Charles said so that's a serious place to get to in your in your spiritual yeah. life. You know, to renounce a life in the courts of Rome, to go live in a cave, to translate <sighs> scripture into Latin with your only companion, a skull, and you know the animals around you, you're right. withholding nothing from the Lord. And again, to hear the sins of the world in the confessional, you, you can't hold anything back from that. So if these are being painted for priests mm -hmm. to be inspired, mm -hmm. who's commissioning that? Who's saying, we need paintings for our priests? <laughs> Bo both um, upper-level clergy, uh -huh. Uh, private, as, private, wealthy church members, okay. um, the church herself, as Charles said, yeah. the church was actively trying to combat heresies. And as we've said in an earlier show, the visual arts 
can do so much more than the written word can do, or even the spoken word. Yeah, You can say so much in a painting. You could say in a painting what you can say in a thousand words to repeat the cliche. Sure. Uh, and you don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be lettered to understand these things. Yeah. Well, if, looking at the brochure, which you're talking about now, you don't even have to be able to read. He's got a stone in this strong arm. Right. You know where that stone's headed yeah. for him. And he's holding on to the Lord mm -hmm. yeah. on the cross. And if, if that doesn't come together for you, I don't know that if it's ever going to come together for you, really. And, and one thing that we should remember, too, is that though the lay people were confused and um, misled by the Reformation's heresies, we have to assume that the clergy were susceptible to that confusion as well. Sure. And so the, the church must have known that they have to keep the clergy in the right place. And, you know, remember what one of the church fathers said or did? This is this is what St. Jerome did a thousand years ago. Uh, St. Jerome lived a thousand years before Martin Luther mm -hmm. ever <laughs> said what he said. Right, right. And and so this was a good reminder. And, and you know, you know, St. Peter, a friend of our Lord, having that connection to where it all began, I think is one of the most powerful things that the church could have done in this time of great upheaval. Mm -hmm. Well, that upheaval was throughout society, certainly in the church, certainly in politics. And these artists, I mean, it's an interesting time to read about because I've often said to people in, in different talks I've had, there were so many fewer artists then and there's so much more turmoil now because there's so many hundreds of thousands of artists more. But actually, I, I'm beginning to have respect for the fact that there probably was equal turmoil then because these guys are all competitors for commissions and they're, they're scrapping tooth and nail yeah. to get that commission. In fact, a thing that I find fascinating to read about is each one of these famous artists uh, – if you look back to a certain time in their life, they all were suspicious that another artist was poisoning them, literally. Okay. If they got a stomachache, they think, he's trying to get my commission. Yeah. He's poisoning me. <laughs> and they also were very sensitive because they're, they're kind of behind the scenes with upper level clergy. They're sensitive to how the how these individuals are, are acting. And in fact, um, go backward to Guido Reni for a moment, and he has a marvelous Oh, a dynamic St. Michael. And St. Michael's got his foot on the head of Satan, but the face is Pope Innocent X uh -huh. because he thought Pope Innocent was actually a treacherous politician. So he painted his face. It was it was an outrage at the time because everybody knew who it was. Right. You know, so so he, here's St. Michael and the sword is huge and the foot is crushing on the head and it's the Pope. Oops. <laughs> Guess politics reigned you then. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up. Can you tease a little bit about what we have planned for next month? Sure. So in June, we have a wonderful exhibition by a glass sculptor named Marlena Rose called Cultural Blueprints. And she spans the globe with cultural motifs as far as East Asia to inform her contemporary sculpture. And then um, another glass artist, uh, by the name of Tim Tate, who experiments with video and mirrors in his glass sculpture. He's he's um, known as a glass reformer. To, Interesting. <laughs> to, to relate to what we've been talking about. Yes. All right. 
Well, cool. People will have to check out these paintings. I'll have links in the show notes and stuff. But uh, thanks for sharing with us again. Thanks, and, Kyle. And check out Fort Wayne Museum of Art. Cool. FWMOA.org. That's right. Thank you. 